Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's Shear with uh, the Let's Get Real program with our coach, Benachem Bernfeld. I uh, appreciate you for coming here tonight on a Sunday night, right after Slichus. I'm sure everybody's tired after last night. Tonight is our 71st year, and we're excited to have Rabbi Shlomo Landa here tonight, and we'll get into that in a minute. I always start off every night, Sunday nights, thanking everybody for coming on and for uh, posting on the WhatsApp statuses, emailing out to family and friends, letting people know that every Sunday night we have an amazing shear with uh, Rabbonim, speakers, therapists, and we get tremendous feedback after every shear, and we appreciate that. And uh, if anybody has any comments, please feel free to reach out to us at coachmanachem at gmail.com. All those people that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, please click on the like button for Coach Menachem and the subscribe button so me and Menachem can make millions of dollars on this program. I'd like to first start off thanking all our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, for promoting this here in Lakewood and uh, really pushing it. This is a Lakewood-based program. Tonight, even our guest is now a Lakewooder, partially. And a special thank you to uh, Rabbi Anif from Chazak for promoting us on all the Chazak channels. And a special thanks to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the Jewish digital platforms. Again, for anybody who's here for the first time tonight, every Sunday night at 10 p.m. on this Zoom ID, we have different uh, shiurim and topics. Uh, so please spread the word. We are going to have a shiur next Sunday. I want to get into that right now. Next Sunday, September 5th, Sunday night. Next week, Monday night, is Rosh Hashanah. So we're talking about uh, less than 24 hours before Rosh Hashanah. We are going to have a share Sunday night. And we're going to have the world-famous Reverend Sian Tversky from the Rebbe from Milwaukee, the, the, the Hunch-type Rebbe from Milwaukee, <laughs> who was once on the Shear. He's going to come back and really, uh, the topic, we're, we're naming it, what must be different this year, the night before Rosh Hashanah. So we're gonna, it's going to be an amazing program. Uh, Reverend Tversky is very excited, and uh, we hope everybody joins and gets a Sirius right before Rosh Hashanah. It's going to be deep, meaningful. Please be here. Tonight, again, we have the Schuss of Rabbi Shalom Alanda with us tonight. We'll get back to him in a moment. Let's start off with Psich Sadvarim with our famous world host. You have to unmute. Yeah, unmute him. Is that a call? Yeah. Our famous, the, the biggest coach in the firm world, Coach Menachem Berenfeld, who has happened to have started Wednesday night uh, deep, deep classes, which we'll follow up on. But Coach Menachem, open it up for the island. Thank you very much. I want to welcome everyone to another, uh, another Sheer show. Let's get real with Coach Menachem. And yes, most of us did start Slichus, and uh, many would be tired, but you're here anyways. So we're becoming aware slowly that Rosh Hashanah is coming, everybody uh, in their way. But um, hopefully by starting Slichus, we realize that Rosh Hashanah is around the corner and everybody's looking for something. Um, slowing down and realizing that we need to uh, figure out what can I change, get better, where, what it is, everybody in their situation, their life, wherever they are to find something. And even the ladies out there, they maybe didn't get up to Slichus and sometimes they feel that a little bit of guilt, like I'm busy cooking over here and what am I doing for Rosh Hashanah? And that's a topic for itself. Um, aren't you cooking for Rosh Hashanah? So how does that work? But that's not for tonight. But tonight in Mitzvah we're going to hear a little bit more. One way how we can 
get closer to Hashem. And it's an interesting one. It is about Kirv and how we can um, make an impact in the world to, um, for Hashem's sake. And before we start Kirv Rechoikim in general, I just want to talk about uh, for a few minutes Kirv Kroivim. It, not always do we need to reach out in the world that we're not like uh, need to take a flight or go in the areas where there are no Eden or Eden, but they don't look like Eden. But even in our own neighborhood, um, there's always those that we can have an impact, those who need some encouragement, whatever it is. And that itself, you can call it curve. If you, if you make it your mission, if you look at it in, in the right way, you can have an impact on those and on, on yourself. And, and really, ultimately, it could take you to Kirif to be Makar of yourself. Sometimes you need your own encouragement in Yiddishkeit. Sometimes it can be mitzvahs, whatever it is. And this is what we really need before Shoshana, to be able to see where do I need some encouragement, how to look at myself with a positive light and uh, make the cheshbun nefesh a little bit easier. A lot of people don't want to hear that word because then automatically they focus on all the negatives and they just need, I don't want to go there. Let's leave it alone. But the, the truth is, if you have uh, a marshal, somebody who is not so affiliated to Yiddishkeit, you have him by your Shabbos table, every small thing you'll tell, you'll encourage him. Wow, you're amazing, whatever you do. And uh, she lights Shabbos candles, even though she still looks at her phone on Shabbos. She's not ready. So it's they're, they're still growing. And when you look at that, we're also still growing. You're going to say, me, by the 20, I got there already? we're still growing and we have to get better and better. And obviously you can find some faults, but that's not what we need to focus on. We need some encouragement. So hopefully tonight we will get some ideas of Kirv Bechlal and Amit Hashem with that, we'll be able to find what we can do to get closer to Hashem and get ready with something for Rosh Hashanah. Shkoyach. Beautiful opening. Um, again, I just want to uh, do a little overview of tonight. I uh, just wanted to mention again, Menachem started writing the first uh, Coach Menachem Bernfeld book, uh, season one, which was the first 40 Shiurim. And uh, it's coming out hopefully with six to eight months. For all those already donated a chapter or something, uh, thank you. And um, if anybody has any interest in taking on a, a chapter and for helping us put together, please reach out to Coach Menachem at coachmenachem at gmail.com. And uh, we're up to Shir tonight, 71. So uh, we're going to be asking for, for book number two. So uh, again, we're excited to have Shlomo Landau. Again, tonight's topic is what we could do to impact ourselves and in, in retrospect also help other people, which is really the, the core topic where Shlomo Landau came to speak about his Kirov and understanding it in all aspects. And we have a lot of questions that we discussed that came in. And I'm going to read your bio, Rabbi Landau, then it, the, the floor is yours. For over two decades, Rabbi Shlomo Landau has been a Rav of Torah Links of Middlesex County, a Kirov community in East Brunswick. He has also been a beloved high school Rebbe for close to 20 years. Recently, Rabbi Landau has joined the staff at Olami as a director of community mentors, which we'll get into that tonight in Hashem. Rabbi Landau is also a popular speaker and lecturer on Torah Anytime and many other organizations. And I want to give a special thank you tonight to Shirley Rostein from Madison Title for hosting Rabbi Landau in their corporate offices. And if anybody is selling a building for $100 million and needs a title, please call Rabbi Shirley Rostein so he can arrange a few. Rabbi Shlomo Landau. The floor is yours. It's an incredible honor to be here. Uh, it's an honor as well to be with Coach Menachem and with all the incredible listeners. You know, I've, I've realized over the years that 
there's certain programs that have siyata deshmaya, there's certain initiatives that have siyata deshmaya, and for some reason they turn into something much larger than anyone imagined. And the common denominator behind all of them is that the people that are driving them are doing it l'shem shamayim, they're doing it for the right reason, and I really feel that this is such a program, so I'm humbled, I, re I really am humbled to be a small little part of such an amazing initiative, and Bezer Hashem, the conversation tonight should be positive, it should be uplifting, it should be inspiring, and we should all come into Rosh Hashanah in a little bit of a different frame of mind, perhaps, than when we logged on. I want to begin by sharing a story that happened to me over 20 years ago, and this story literally happened as I tiptoed into the world of Kirov or into the world outside of myself. Just by way of background, I grew up, Baruch Hashem grew up in a beautiful Tyrodika family. I went to the Tel Zeshiva, I went to Panevish, and then I went to Brisk. So my upbringing was, I, wouldn't, I would say, it wasn't so Kirovesque. It's a whole long story how I got involved in Kirov, and maybe if we have time at the end, we'll get to it for those people that are you know, burning the late, not, the late lights. But I just want to share a little tiny episode that had a tremendous impact on me that literally happened 20-some years ago. Um, as I first, first started doing Kirov, I was invited to speak, I think it was to a seventh and eighth grade class in a conservative Hebrew school. Um, and I asked for Shmuel Kamenetsky, who has been a Meredarech to us for so many years, uh, you know, about the parameters. He gave me a little bit of direction. And then I got in touch with, um, with this conservative, um, with this conservative uh, administrator, with the principal. And he was very principled about what we should be talking about and what we shouldn't be talking about. He didn't want me to talk about this. He didn't want me to talk. He finally says, you know, I'm going to choose a topic. And he chose what we would call a power of topic. He wasn't scared I would say anything fanatic or anything that would rock anyone's boat. So he asked me to speak about the Kaisal Hamaravi, the Kotel, the Western Wall. What could be wrong with a wall? It's just stones. So I really prepared for that class. I, I had never really taught that genre of, of students. And I I wasn't sure what I should say. And I researched, I remember I put so much time and effort into that 45 minute class. And I come into the room and there's, I don't know, 40 or 50 kids, bright eyed, you know, it's an afternoon and they'd already been in school and they came and uh, they look at me, I have a beard, I have a yarmulke, I've got tzitzis. They're like looking at me like, who is this guy? And I gave what I thought was an amazing class on, on the Kaisla Maravi. I spoke about the incredible miracle that the Medrash brings down that Hashem promised Come what may, no one's going to be able to touch the Kaisal Hamaravi, and that why doesn't the terrorists just go and blow up the Kaisal? And it's amazing. I said some stories of a father and a son that were reunited at the Kaisal, and it was a really, really meaningful class, I think at least. And at the end, I had a Mayurdika Einfad, an amazing idea. A friend of mine was literally leaving to Eretz Yisrael the next morning. So I said to them, Listen, we have an incredible opportunity. I brought along small little pieces of paper. I brought along tape. I brought along staples and pens. And I explained to them the concept, the idea of writing a kvittal, a note to God, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I said that we're going to have this amazing opportunity where you're going to have, you're going to be able to write a note directly to God. And don't worry, I'm not going to look at it. I brought tape, I brought, I, I brought a table, staples and tape. I brought all kinds of stuff. You can mamish seal it. That, and my friend is going there. He's probably going to be like Kaisal within 36 or 48 hours. He's going to put your note in the wall and you could write to God whatever you want to write. And it was like a, a major, like, you know, a, a, you know like an uplifting air, you know, aura in the room. The, the kids were very fascinated and they were very interested. And some of the questions, can I write to God about this? Can I write to God about that? One kid wanted to know if he could write to God about the Yankees. There was a lot of different things that people wanted to know. And then when it came time, it was unbelievable. 
Every kid literally, they put their, their hand around their pen. They didn't want anyone to see what they're writing. They wrote a note to God. Very inspiring. And I'm sitting there in the front and I'm, I'm uplifted by the experience. And I had a big manila envelope and I said, you come here, you fold it up, you, you tape it, you staple it, you put it into the yellow manila envelope and I'm going to seal it and my friend's going to take it to Israel and he's just going to put it in a crack in the kotel and it's going to go directly to God. So they did and certain kids asked for one or two notes because they want, they want to make sure they didn't make any spelling mistakes. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. One girl walks up. I remember her name was Samantha. She must have been 13 years old, I think. And she walks up and she says, here, Rabbi, I put this into the, uh, into the manila envelope. And I said, you could do it. She goes, no, you could put it in. And I noticed that she had folded it up. She had taped it. She had stapled it. But she wrote something on the outside. I mean, she didn't just she didn't just use what was inside. She wanted to kind of write like, you know, a little bit of a heading. Ladies and gentlemen, open your hearts. Listen to what this girl wrote. She wrote, dear God, I just wanted to tell you how much I love you. Love, Samantha. And I remember in a daze, taking that note, putting it into the manila envelope, finishing off the class. I don't remember what happened at the end of the class. Walking through the halls of this temple into my Buick LeSabre, my 1992 Buick LeSabre, sitting down right in front of my steering wheel and not being able to start my car. Because what was running through my mind was something here just doesn't make sense. I had attended the most amazing institutions of Torah study. I had smicha. I'd been teaching and learning for over two decades in my life. And if I had the opportunity to write a note to God, if I had the opportunity to tell the Rabbani Shalom something that I never had the opportunity before, would I say, Rabbani Shalom, I love you? I didn't think so. And the truth was, I wouldn't have. And here is a 12 or 13-year-old girl with a pretty secular upbringing, at least by the way she was dressed and the temple that she belonged to. And she wrote whatever she wrote to the Rabbani Shalom on the inside. But on the outside, her simple, you know, elementary feelings are Rabbi Shalom. I just wanted to tell you how much I love you. I was blown away. I remember I couldn't start my car. And this bothered me and it bothered me and it bothered me. What's wrong? How come I don't, my gut, my visceral reaction isn't Avas Hashem, that I love a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Yet this girl somehow got it together. Now, let me tell you something. We're going to be honest with one another here. That... There was one thing that gave me a little bit of, of, of solace, that gave me a little bit of comfort that was Menachemi. And that was that I happened to have come across the Sefer Hachinuch. The Sefer Hachinuch in the mitzvah of Avas Hashem, of all places, the mitzvah that were commanded, it's a mitzvah to meet us, we're obligated to love the Rebbe Shalom at all times, in all places. It's one of the six mitzvahs to meet us, is to love, the constant mitzvah is to love the Rebbe Shalom. The Sefer Hachinuch writes something amazing. He says, what is love? How do we display our love to the Rabbi Nishlam? How do we show him that we love him? And one of the things that the Sefer HaChinuch writes is that the way that we display our love to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is by sharing the Rabbi Nishlam, sharing the beautiful Torah that he gave us, the uplifting and exalted way, the Chayim that's infused with Torah with other people. That's the way you show your love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, when you love something so much, you can't contain it to yourself. You need to share it with the people around you. Think about this as a parent, as, as a spouse. When you're so in love with your child, you can't keep it to yourself. You call your mother, oh my gosh, the most adorable thing happened with a little Yankee today. Or a young couple is married and they're so happy with one another. They share, oh, my, I've never felt this way before in my life. Says the Sefer Achinach, that the way practically that we're in the mitzvah of Avas Hashem, that we show our love and our affection to the Rabbi Nishalayim, 
is by teaching, showing other people how amazing the Rabbanish Lavram is and how amazing a life of Tyra and Mitzvah is. And I'm not sure what many of you thought this discussion was about, but all of us are thinking about one thing right now. And that is that literally a week from tonight is Erev Rosh Hashanah. And each and every one of us is going to stand before the Rabbanu Shalom in judgment. And he's going to look at the previous year in the rear view mirror. And ultimately, he's going to decide the upcoming year. It's been a challenging previous year for all of Kali Yisrael. It's not been such an easy year. And we're all davening, we're praying Rabbanu Shalom. This upcoming year should be such an amazing and astounding year. We need to come with something. We can't come empty-handed. What could we come with? And there's so many different eight-size so many different possible solutions and things to latch onto as we come into the Yom Hadin. There are many things, but one one proven thing that we can do to ensure ourselves a favorable outcome in judgment is to open ourselves up and look beyond our blinders. So many of us, we live our lives in our Dalit Amas, in our little you know, small world with blinders, it's the people like us, it's the community like us, it's the people who look like us, talk like us, think like us. And that's us on Rosh Hashanah. That's really, even if we dive in for them, we're really just diving for ourselves. One of the given, sure, and proven ways to be Zaychabadin, for a person to merit a positive outcome in judgment, is to open yourself up and think about people that are outside of your comfort zone that are outside of your box. If you can go before the Rabban Shalom Rosh Hashanah and say, Rabban Shalom, I'm not just davening for myself, I'm davening for all of your children. Well then, a father, there's nothing more in the world that is so pleasing to a father than when people care about his children. And that's such a powerful spin. it's such a powerful way to go into the day of judgment. And that's what we're gonna talk about this evening. The concept of the idea, we're gonna call it Kiruf, which means literally bringing close, but the point is to open ourselves up outside of ourselves because the results could be astounding. And I just want to add one tiny little anecdote, which I shared tonight in a different forum. And it's so powerful. And then we'll take, we'll let Rib Usher and the professionals open this up to the world. Many, many years ago, I had a Talmud, a student in high school, who was extremely negative about Judaism. His parents had become balichuva when he was probably 11 or 12 years old, the most difficult time in life. And he just felt there were so many restrictions on him and he really despised Yiddishkeit. And it was, he had to go to yeshiva. And imagine, I'm the, I'm the person that's teaching Yiddishkeit. But somehow we found, what, I'm not even gonna call a separate piece, somehow we found a common ground and there was a good relationship between the two of us, not in Yiddishkeit, just mano mano, like we say, one Jewish person to another Jewish person. And I remember a few days before Yom Kippur going over to this young man and I said to him, Yom Kippur must be so difficult for you. He says, yes, I hate Yom Kippur. It's the worst day of the whole year. I said, why? He goes, because my family stays, spends the whole day in shul. They go to a really intense place and I don't want to be there and I don't want to be fasting and I don't want to dive it and I have stuck there. So I said, so what do you do for so long? He says, I'll be honest. Behind the shul, there's like a little field and the little kids play football there. So I play football. So I said to him, you don't daven at all? He says, I don't daven one word. I said, think about it for a moment. It can't hurt. Why don't you daven one thing on Yom Kippur? Just one thing, one, excuse me, one set of Avinu Malkins, just one. I don't know, by Shachris, by Ne'ilah, by Kol Nidre, whatever, just one, and daven in English. The Bajshalom understands English. He told me, that part's not true, but the story is true. So please do it. Thanks for a minute, he goes, no way. I, I don't want God, I don't need God, I'm not even talking to him, okay? 
the conversation was over. But then I had an idea. And I said to him, I want you to think about something. He says, what? He says to me, I said to him, could you do me a favor? I don't have an easy, as easy a life perhaps as you do. I have a lot of challenges in my personal life, in my communal life. Life is, is, is challenging. And I need every prayer, every tefillah that I possibly could get. Can you do me a favor? Do you think you could go into shul for just one Avinu Malkeinu, for the five minutes that it takes? And don't daven for yourself because you don't talk to God and you have nothing to do with him. But maybe you could daven for me. So when you say, Avinu Malkeinu Kasveinu B'Sefer Chaim Paivim, write me in the book of a good life. Don't say me, say Landau. Avinu Malkeinu Kasveinu B'Sefer Geula Yeshua, personal redemption, all the things we need, salvation from the Rebbeisham, Landau, not me. What do you think? So he thinks for a minute, he goes, interesting, but what's in it for me? Hmm, smart kid. So I said to him, I'll make you a deal. I have a lot of things, like I have a family, I've got a community, I have so many things I'm for. But I'm going to dedicate one set of Avinu Malkeinu over Yom Kippur. I can't promise you yet which one. And when I say Avinu Malkeinu, write us in good life, I'm going to say, not land now, not my family, not my community, you, I'm going to die for you. And when I say, we should have enough to live, I'm not going to say myself. I'm going to think about you. The boy thinks for him and he goes, all right, it's a deal. Okay? Now I'm in trouble. I just lost an Avinu Malkeinu. We never lose Avinu Malkeinu. He's always there, especially when we love his children. I come back to school the morning after Yom Kippur and standing on the front stairs of the school, even before I came for Shachars, is this boy. And he's waiting. And I said, hey, what's up? How was your fast? He goes, did you keep your part of the deal? I said, I did. He goes, great, because I kept my part of the deal. And I want to say something that was a great year. And I have a feeling that part of it was because of the tefillahs of this boy. And I like to think that he had a better year that year as well, because another Jewish person cared about him. There's nothing more powerful in our arsenal than thinking about other people. Call it Kirov, call it whatever you want. You want to be Zaycha Bedin on Rosh Hashanah? Make sure you're able to somehow break out of your own little shell. Think about the Rebbein other children. I'm telling you, it's a slam dunk. It's proven and it's tried. Wow. Oh, okay, Rabbi Landa. I think you said it all. Should we call it a night? Sure. No way. We're just starting. Okay. We'll give you a one minute break. We're going to do a little poll over here and then we're going to jump into questions. Okay. Again, anybody who's here for the first time, anybody's here, live questions go first. Anybody has a live question? We're talking about Bizoich Bedin, Rosh Hashanah, Kirov, helping other Yidin, being there for people. Um, let's let's do this poll just to get a feeling from the crowd again. Let's be honest. It's anonymous. We want to get a feeling. How likely would you be to invite a non-forum coworker into your home? Three options. Likely to invite him. Highly unlikely to invite him. Never thought about it before. That's the first question. The second question is, how do you view yourself in relation to a non-forum Jew? Option A, I feel like they are my brothers and sisters. Option B, I feel somewhat connected. Option C, I don't feel a real connection to them at all. Landa, we're going straight for the cutthroat questions over here, straight to the point over here. There's no. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me give you five seconds to answer it. Answer, answer honestly. We just want to, you know, see what we're talking about and see what you're holding. And uh, then we'll jump into all the questions over here. Again, with Zechta, Rabbi Melanda, who's, uh, how many years you doing here, Rabbi Melanda? Well, a long time, over two decades. Over two decades. So um, I'm sure he's familiar with almost any question you could ask him in this field. Or Stamos, we could ask him anything. So we're Zechta, have him please turn on your camera. Let's, let's have a Fabrengen. Let's have Sichas Haverim, Menachem. Sichas Haverim. 
Okay, I'm gonna stop the poll and then we're gonna share with everybody, ready? Okay, how likely would you be to invite a non-firm coworker into your home? Rabbi Lando, 58% of people say they are likely to invite a non-firm person into their home. That's beautiful. 30% people say highly unlikely and 11% of people say they never even thought about it before. Okay, the second question is, how do you view yourself in relation to a non-firm Jew? 43% say, I feel like they are my brothers and sisters. 50% feel I feel somewhat connected. Only 7% say I don't feel a real connection to them at all. So um, I think we have a hush of a crowd over here tonight. So I think it's going to be a perfect conversation of what we're talking about. And if it's on your screen, the, the thing, just exit out. Um, I'll start with the first question. Again, anybody has a question, please text Usher Parnas on the screen here. And uh, let's jump right into it, okay? The first question, Rabbi Landau. Go ahead. Ready? I'm ready. It's almost Rosh Hashanah. I feel my focus should be solely on self-improvement for myself. Why a discussion about Kirov the week before Rosh Hashanah? I think that's an excellent question. It's almost a question we should ask you, Rabasher and, and Menachem, because bottom line is you guys invited me on. But I'm okay, going to tell you the answer to that question. The answer is I reached out to you a while ago, and then you told me you're so busy the whole summer. And then Hashem worked it out that should be the week before Shoshana. That's the answer. So, so the question is, why does Hashem work it out that this should be the topic right. of the conversation? So let's let's try to let's try to tackle this. So we know that there's three things when it comes to the Yom Nairam that can literally save us. And we all say it, we say it out loud, we say it with feeling, and we say it with emotion. Uchuva, utfila, utsidaka, mavir nasrayakzera. Chuva, returning to the Rabbanu Shalom, tefila, a deep relationship with the Rabbanu Shalom, and tzedakah, caring about others. Mavir those have the power to remove the evil of the decree. It comes out like this. I remember when I was a kid, I used to go to Switzerland. My grandparents are Swiss. And one time they took us to a woodworking shop and my brother made this like little milking stool, I think it was. It had three legs on it. You know, and one of the legs broke. So we threw the chair out. Because if one leg breaks, the stool doesn't stand. You know, it's important to do tshuva. Of course it is. To rectify and fix up all the things inside of you, your character flaws. It's really important to work on your tefillah, your relationship with Hashem, your amuna, and your bitachan. But those two alone, they don't stand. You need the third leg. What's the third leg? Other people. So we have to think about 33.3%. You're into polls. We have to think about 33.3% of our approach when it comes to the Yom Nairam, and that is others. And like I said before, if a guy looks like you and he walks like you and he talks like you, that's you. That's not others. That's included in Chuvan Tfila. So 33% of our approach has to be to think about other people. So I think there's no more, there, there's no pop topic that's more prominent or more important a week before Rosh Hashanah. Number two, number two, the whole entire dharma of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is Balash and Rabba. It is all in the plural. I need to share something beautiful. Just today, my dear Chavar, Reb Meir Goldberg, who runs one of the most amazing organizations in Kaisal called RJX, Rutgers Jewish Experience, which brings Tyra and Mitzvahs to so many young college kids who really had no connection before. He put out a plea today on the media. I know in Lakewood, I don't know where else he did it, asking for help with his Kiruv. It wasn't manpower. He didn't ask for money. He asked for something so pure. He asked that coming up this Yom Nairam and the Rosh Hashanah, the Yemei HaRachman, Bahaslichas, Yom Kippur, Aser Simei everyone should daven for Achenu B'nai Yisrael. They should daven for our brothers and sisters. They should daven that he should have atzlacha in reaching out to them, that what he shares should be meaningful to them. The whole davening is plural. There's a reason for that, because if you just daven for yourself, something is lacking, something is not real. 
Finally, um, we know that one of the incredible Eitzas Lissas Padin, like we talked about before, one of the incredible ways to stand in front of the Rabbanu Shalom is not as an individual. If we stand as an individual, like we say in the, in the Rosh Hashanah davening, we stand there kedalim like poor destitute people, our pockets are empty. But when we stand there as part of Klal Yisrael, the Rabbanu Shalom looks at us very differently. So reaching out to people who are Klal Yisrael, our brothers and our sisters, even though that wasn't 100% of the response, but they are our brothers and sisters, no less than anyone else, thinking about them, davening for them, and doing what we can do is such an incredible because then the Rabbani Shalom doesn't judge us just as an individual. He judges us as a cloud, as part of cloud Yisrael, and the judgment is so much more uh, uplifted when it's when it's as a cloud. So we, it's the most perfect discussion to have before Rosh Hashanah. If, if I could just share one tiny little story, about this that happened just a few years ago. A friend of mine shared with me the most beautiful idea. I don't know that it would fly in perhaps in some of the liquid shuls, but it definitely flew in East Brunswick. My, my, my drasha before Yisker, which is the biggest drasha of the whole year, my speech before Yisker, I spoke about the concept of the idea of If you daven for someone else and you need something, you're answered first. And I said a bunch of off the charts, crazy, amazing stories about this. And then I did something like my kids would say, a little cringy. I had every single person in the entire shul, 300 people or so stand up, turn to the person next to them, even if they never met them and they had no idea who they were and ask them for one thing that they could dive in for on their behalf. And then what we did basically was we had a, a minute or two of absolute silence. It seemed like an eternity and everyone davened for someone else exclusively, not for themselves. I can't begin to describe to you the atmosphere in the, world, in the room. There were tears, there were hugs. It was the most beautiful and special and lofty moment that I probably have had in so many years. By the way, just in, as a side note, I'm standing there in the front. Who am I davening for? Because I noticed and in the front row in the ladies section, because our, the way our show was formed is that, you know, that there's, you could speak and you could see everybody when you speak. So, um, by the way, I'm just stopping for a moment to thank Rabbi Itcher Rosenbaum and Madison Title. He just stopped in. That's how invested he is in this. The Rabbi should give them such amazing siyata deshmaya, and they're such a great achsanya, such a great host. Really a great schuss to see a person like this walk in. So anyways, so um, I noticed that there's, there's, who am I speaking for? There's an old lady standing in the front and she's standing by herself. I walk over to her into the ladies section and I said to her, can I pray for something on your behalf? And she says to me, I don't speak English. I said, I figured Yiddish. So she looks at me, her lights up, like her eyes light up, and she says, in a Russian accent. I said, Yo, yes, I want to daven for you. This is what can I daven for you? And she says, listen to this. She says, Daven as man kinder Pray that my children and my grandchildren should remain Jews. That's what she done. And I did daven for her. Sadly, she didn't ask me what she could daven for me. But I think the schus of having so many people daven for one another was off the charts. And I, so many people said that they felt that they had, were answered in a way they were never answered before. So it's such a great way to go into Rosh Hashanah. I mean, I think it's a slam dunk. Come on. Wow. Okay. Rabbi Landa, let's go to the first live question we have over here. Hold on one second. I just wanted to share. I just I looked up the article while you were talking. I just wanted to share it with everybody, if that's okay. I just read through it quickly. I thought it was an amazing article. 
It was on the liquid scoop, I saw it. See it? Yes, that's it. That's that's Mayor Goldberg. Beautiful. He basically writes in short over here. You know, everybody's going to Shulam Davani. So there's a number of occasions I hear about the CEO Sal mentioned the Chazanish, wrote that the success of Kiev organization, the ability for a Jew to return to his people, is directly impacted by the Torah of Klai Israel. In other words, a Mekarv is only means to connect the Jew back to his roots. Inspiration, Yerushimayim, determination to live as a Jew, connected to Hashem, will derive from waves of Torah that come from B'nai, HaYeshiva, and those in the base Medish. The tears on behalf of the disconnected Jew certainly can impact him on his return. Just talking about just davening. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very to read it, but it's very powerful. Okay, let's go to the first live question. You're on. Hi, Rabbi Landau. Thank you. Thank you for taking my question. I just had a small question regarding Kirov. Um, you know, sometimes I'm sure many of us go through challenges, personal life challenges, and Baruch Hashem, we're able to stay from and, but not necessarily we have mastered the challenge fully that we are fully appreciative of the challenge and we could mamish thank Hashem for the challenge and we still maybe have our own doubts and questions, but we stay from, and uh, it could be for many reasons, it could be for societal reasons or other things. And sometimes we feel we still, I want to, like myself, I want to do Kirov. I want to go into the field a little bit, but I feel like how if I, me, myself, I don't know the answer to certain things. If someone else comes to the same thing and, uh, or something similar. And how am I going to answer them? I don't have the answer for myself. And I happen to, I, I feel it's like hypocrisy a little bit. I'm just kind of doing it maybe for a fake reason, but this person, I don't have the tools how to help him out. So would it still be advisable to go to Kirov or one which should still work on themselves till they master their challenge? Excellent question. I, I was hoping somebody would ask that question because I think it's a very important question. Um, master, I don't think any of us, first of all, ever master Yiddishkeit. Literally, until the day we die, we're trying to master Yiddishkeit. And I think, you know, this really opens like a much larger question. Why, why is it that so many from people are scared of Kirov? They're scared, they're, they're inhibited, they're, they're nervous. What are they nervous about? There's many different reasons. I wanna just highlight maybe one or two of them and try to explain something and maybe change the mind shift of many people that are out there. So I'm gonna give you an example. You know, you said that, you know, you don't have the answers to everything. That's one of the things that you said, we'll talk about that at first. You know, what happens if someone asks me a question that, that I can't answer? So first of all, you know, let's call a spade a spade. In 2021, people aren't asking questions that they used to ask 30, 40 years ago. No one sits down at the Shabbos table. I can't imagine one time in my 20 years of Shabbos meals um, that somebody's asked me the question of Yediyah and Bechira, free will versus determinism, that if Hashem knows what's gonna happen, so then we don't make decisions anyways. I can't recall a single conversation like that at a Shabbos meal. People are not asking those kind of questions or the worst of all, if there's a God, how could the Holocaust have happened? At a Shabbos table, people are not asking those type of questions. They just wanna, understand the experience. Maybe they'll ask innocent and innocuous questions like what's happening, what, where, when, why, you know, those questions, most of us are totally capable of answering. And as a Rebbe in high school for so many years and just teaching so many people, there's nothing in the world more powerful than telling someone, I don't know. Because when you say you don't know to something to a question, it validates every other question that you ever answered before. If some reason you're at a Shabbos meal and someone asks you a question that you can't answer, you say, that's such a great question. I'm so happy you came over. I never thought about that. I don't know, I've just been doing it. Let me find out and I'm gonna get back to you. And by the way, you just got yourself another opportunity to interact with them in a meaningful way. So 
I don't think we have to be scared. And the second point I wanted to make is that we have no idea how much we know. We've literally, you know, grown up, our mother's milk has been Yiddishkeit. We have no clue how much Tyra, mitzvahs, Yiddishkeit, understanding, knowledge, we have as a from Jew compared to someone that didn't have the benefit of a Jewish education. We could literally, if we sat down and learned, taught them everything we knew, it would take a few years. That's how much we have. So we're nervous that maybe we don't know something. We don't have an answer to every single question. Don't worry about it. There's so much that you know. There's so much that you could share. And it's so easy to impact. Finally, as a Rav who's been involved in Kiev, I, I still don't know the answer to many questions. Um, and sometimes people really throw questions at me that I don't have the answer to, but for some reason, the Rebbe gives you siyata vishmaida. And I'll conclude by just saying this, although what you said is a much bigger topic and there's another whole thing I wanna talk about, but I think we're gonna get to it. Maybe if someone asks another question, if not, we'll come back to it at the end. I remember sitting down and learning with a very intelligent fellow and we were learning Chumash and Rashi. Very, very successful professional. And we came to this Rashi. Um, and Menachem and Rabbi Asher, this is like, this is classic. Um, Rashi is talking about how that the Torah is not written in chronological order. And the guy says, one second, Rabbi. Well, just, just one second. You know, did God write the Torah? I'm like, he did. He wrote the Torah and he couldn't get it in chronological order? If my kid writes a report and they mess something up, but God's perfect. How come it's not written in chronological order? No one ever told me the answer. Hey, what do you mean the answer is hey, there's no order of the Torah. I don't know. Uh-oh. But this is a real pivotal question. And all of a sudden, like a bolt of lightning, an idea flashes into my mind. I'm telling you, I never thought about this ever before in my life. And I said, listen, I want to share with you something so important. The Torah is not a history book. It's not a history book like all those other histories, like the famous book, The History of the Jews by Paul Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. It's not a history book. It's Tyrus Chaim. It's an owner's manual of life. And the Rebbe wanted us to understand, I wrote this book, but I don't ever want you to think for a moment that it's just Bible bedtime stories or it's the history of the Jewish people. It's Tyrus Chaim. It's an act of Tyrus. So he intentionally wrote it chronologically wrong or chronologically right, if you want to call it. So no one should ever have that understanding. Oh, it's an old history, et cetera, et cetera. That was the answer I gave him. He was very impacted by the answer. And the truth is that, um, the truth is that the Maral says it. I didn't know that, I'd never heard it before. You get siyata deshmaya. There's no other way to, to, don't be scared. I'm telling you, we have to empower ourselves and understand that we're so amazing. We have so much knowledge, so much to share. Just share what you know and you'll be fine. Rebelando, the, the concept that you're saying sounds very good. And, I'm, and there are many questions that came in. First of all, where we all have, most of us have like a routine, busy day, day, the women taking care of, if they work, the kids and, and, and cooking in the house and the, the men that are working, talking about the running big companies. And when they hear this idea, how in the world, where in the world or what can they do different? And this is a question that came in. I always wanted to do more Yiddishkeit, but I'm just so overwhelmed with my business, personal life. How can I prioritize this important mitzvah? It sounds like a good idea, but where do we start? What could we do for those, uh, those uh, busy people? Another excellent question. Um, first of all, and for foremost, without doing anything life-changing, just being a positive ambassador for the Rabbi Shalom literally is life-changing. This is something, it took me time to perfect, but over the years, I really tried working on this. 
wherever I go, whatever I do, I always try to be a good ambassador. I smile, I'm courteous, I say thank you. I try to drive like a mensch, not that certain people can relate to that. I don't try to cut people off, even if I'm rushing. I always try to be an ambassador. I want someone to look at, I want someone to, to look at me and say, wow, this is a person, this is a child, this is a child of God. I'll share just two tiny little anecdotes that any person in the world could do, but they're literally life-changing to the world around us and particularly to Achenu B'nai Yisrael that are not so connected. I was in Walgreens, I think it was like two years ago, right before COVID, and an elderly woman was there and she was online right in front of me. And she, she had a bunch of things. It seemed like she was doing maybe food shopping in Walgreens. On Maybe she had no, no way to get anywhere else. And she had a 24 pack of water in her cart. So she comes up to the checkout counter and the and says to the um and says to the uh, to the to the to the cashier, I'm sorry, I can't take it out. Could you come around and scan it? And the cashier looks at her and says, If you want it, put it on the counter. I don't work. I don't lift things. That's not my job. So I'm right behind her, and I'm like, Don't worry about it. I got it. I took the 24 pack, put it onto the counter. She scanned it, put it in. And then I paid and I went running after the woman and I figured if she couldn't get it out of the cart, she probably can't get it into her car. So I, I went to her with, with her to her car and, and I put it into the trunk. And she looks at me and she's so thankful. And she says to me, she says, you know, there's very few human beings left in this world. It's so refreshing to see that there's still people created in the image of God. This is what this lady said to me. I don't know if she was a 613 or not. It doesn't make a difference. You're making a tremendous Kiddush Hashem wherever you are. And particularly when you're in places where there's a large concentration of that may not be exactly like us. And you're friendly and you're kind and you're non-judgmental. You can't imagine the impact that that has. If every person that's on this Zoom or listening to the recording of it would make one effort to try to somehow be a Kiddush Hashem out there in the world, that would be mamish life-changing. Secondly, like Rameer Goldberg said, at least Davin. There's a tremendous spiritual power to davening. But that's a cop-out a little bit. Or donate money to a Kiev organization. It's also a little bit of a cop-out, although obviously it's very important. We're going to talk at the end, stand till the end. We're going to talk about an amazing initiative that I'm being part of now. It's giving opportunities to Jewish professionals, men and women alike, to mentor a college student or young professional, partially professionally, but also show them and help them realize that a lot of the success and what drives us in our life is our connection to the Rabbanu Shalom, our Limad Atayra, our Kviyas Itim, our Chesed, our Tzedakah, our Amuna, etc., etc. At the end, we'll, I mean, if anyone wants, they can always email me at slandau, S-L-A-N-D-A-U, at olami.org, O-L-A-M-I.org. We're going to post that. We'll say it many times. But if someone is willing, even if you're crazy busy, but you're masking to give, you're grieved to give, I don't know, a half hour every week and a half, we could literally set you up with someone and you never know where that could take you. So that's definitely something we could talk about. Reverend, I want to get into that. I want to get into that deep uh, towards the end. We're going to get into just like, you know, how some people did it, this and that. But I'll right, unmute, unmute yourself. I'll unmute you by mistake. All good. Okay. Um, are we ready for the next live question? I just want to say one thing before the live question. I want to tell you a story that happened to me and it's such an amazing story. I was blown away by it. I was by a car wash like two months ago and we do car wash costs $25. And a guy who comes there, a guy, I don't know what they were, come there a lot for the car wash. And they ask the guy if they can get a car freshener. Car freshener costs $1. And 
And he said, oh, I don't happen not to have a dollar on me. Can you give it to me? I'll give you next time. And the guy looked at him like he's from China. Like, you want me to give you a free car freshener for a dollar that he'll pay you next time? He's like, no, if you don't have a dollar, I'm not giving you the car for like, like he was even bothered by the question. So I said, oh, I happen to have an extra dollar. I mean, no problem. And I just paid a dollar, a dollar for his air freshener. And he was like blown away. Like the concept between, you know, us, we, chesed, money, boom, 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 you know, but a dollar, like it does, there's no concept of, it, of, of like what we have with tzedakah and chesed. I just, I thought that, you know, that was just like mind blowing. Yeah. Anyway, let's, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Oh, me? You. Okay, yeah. This is sort of derivative of the, uh, what the other person that Brian asked about. Um, sometimes you feel you know, we're not pros as far as hero. You know? So people, it's not just asking questions, but it's also a way of presenting ourselves. I don't know if I would be as polished as someone like you. Yes, I know you've been in for years. And yes, we, having Hesed and Menschlichkeit, but sometimes it's like, I don't know if people would be inclined to take me seriously the way they would take you. I mean, you're a rabbi, yada, yada. You know, I mean, you know, I have to deal with a very cynical family or, you know, militantly atheist, they're not going to really, they're not really going to listen to anything I, you know, I say, I pray, I, I really, by the way, I do pray for people, you know, my, and I plan to during Rosh Hashanah, that's not really an issue with me, but it's just, um, I don't know if I would have to be as efficacious to you, as far as inspiring people to, uh, you know, to take on mitzvahs, you know, I, I, I so, yeah, I don't know if other people feel the same way. You know, I'd love to get more people involved, but I don't know. I would have that, you know, persona needed. Got it. It, yeah, I mean, how would you? That's very valid. You're saying a very valid point. You're definitely saying a valid yeah. point. Ben. You know, I think certain people are concerned that they're not cute professionals. Um, but at the same time, like I said before, being a man, you can't, people ask me, we were talking about this before the show, like people ask me, Rabbi, how many people did you make from? And the answer to that question is, I didn't make a single person from. Over the years, Baruch Hashem, I had such siyata deshmaya to be, you know, a, a vessel to help people discover more about themselves, more about their, their relationship with the Rabbi Shalom. But just being an Erlicha honest person and showing the positive, upbeat part of Yiddishkeit to the world around us. Does a it really does a tremendous amount. I think we underestimate the possibility and you know the the, the incredible potential that we have as just being erlicha, honest, upbeat, kind, generous, good people. There aren't that many amazing people in the world, and there's so many abilities for a person to be amazing within the realm and the framework of Torah and mitzvahs. I, I, we should not undersell ourselves. I don't think you should tell anyone to do anything. Just be the best person you could be. I'll share an anecdote. A young lady came back from Eretz Yisrael and she had an, a pivotal year. And they, they call this in, 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 in other circles, she flipped out. And she was from a very modern family. And um, she came to meet with me before as the, the day she came home from seminary because she knew there was going to be a lot of strife in the home. You know, there were things she didn't want to do anymore and she wanted to dress differently and conscious, lots of issues in her home. And she said, so what should I do? So I said to her, be machmir as much as you can on Kibaravei. Go to the highest level when it comes to Kibbutz and You want to be machmer and other things, great. But your biggest focus should be on Kibbutz Let your parents see how respectful and kind and menschlich you are, and all the other barriers will eventually fall away. 
And she followed the advice that I gave her, which is not my own. And she came back to me like 12 months later. She says, that was the best thing I possibly could do. What are my parents going to do to their one child who's so respectful and so kind and always so, you know, non-judgmental? And it just worked. So I think we underestimate the ability and the power that we have as regular, honest, of people to affect the world around us. Amazing. Okay, Rabbi Landa, let's go. Let's get deeper into it. You ready? I'm ready. I have a young employee that comes from a non-from family, and I would love to bring him to my house and spend time with him. My concern is that my kids will see his lifestyle and become attracted to it. I don't want my children to be negatively influenced. That's a very, very big concern, and I think that it's a, a common concern. Um, maybe, maybe we have to be a little bit more honest with ourselves at this point, and maybe, like you said, we need to get a little bit deeper into the matter. Um, it's a sad fact to say that there are many Jewish families in the finest of circles that are just doing the motions. It's root, it's routine, it's just the daily routine, and maybe even worse than that, where they just practice, but it's not meaningful. There's no connection to the Rabban Shalom. They don't see the value. They just do it because of societal norms. They want to be part of these circles, et cetera, et cetera. And for a family like that to bring someone in and the children to see perhaps a certain you know, laxness or a certain leniency when it comes to Tyra and Mitzvahs is a scary thing. And it's a valid question if someone asks that question. I think that at the same time, there's a much bigger cure of uh, initiative that needs to be done in a family like that's lives. It's a figure out how the parents can be mikari themselves to Torah and mitzvahs to see the deep beauty of Yiddishkeit, the incredible value of Shabbos, of mishpacha, of a relationship with the Rabbeinah Shalelam. And the cure of there should not be to people necessarily outside of their community. It should be within the home itself. You know, I think one of the things that myself and my wife are very proud of is that, you know, for close to two decades, we're living in a, in a, in a cure of community. And our children have been exposed to so many different types of, you know, attitudes and practices and stuff like that from all kinds of different people. But I don't think that it weakened them because I think that our children realize it's so amazing to be a front person. There's so much of a depth to life, so much meaning and purpose. And we think in so much of a broader way than a typical person who doesn't have this, that on the contrary, you have someone come into your house that doesn't have Shabbos, everyone feels like, ah. Oh, it would be so nice if they had Shabbos. It would be so amazing if they had Shabbos. So for somebody for somebody to ask a question like this is a great question. What they could do for Kirov is that they, the thing that they could do for Kirov is thinking what you could do to motivate your own Yiddishkeit is Kirov. We need to make sure that our children love Yiddishkeit. I know that earlier on, Rabbi Elfin from the Mir was on and he just, he just went into this and he said, you know, we need to raise our children with resilience, with connection, with ashrenu matayvchalkenu. You know, I, I tell some of my students over the years, and particularly the ones that are struggling between the two worlds, that what's so beautiful and amazing about being a Yiddish person is the clarity. The world around us literally throws different principles, ideals, and values, and they change. I, what the values in the American system, morals and ethics in the American value system, when I was a kid and now, are worlds apart. And it's so confusing, what's right and what's wrong. You think certain things and people call you all kinds of names and being judgmental, but you don't think that. Being a Yiddish person is amazing. And we say this in Shemineseri every day. I don't think most people think about it, but going forward, think about it. And even if you got nothing from this whole entire discussion, take this home. You know, we say in Shemineseri every single thing, every single day we say, the haser mimenu yagain ve'anacha. Rabbanu Shalalem, remove anguish, remove you know, difficulty, challenges, challenges in understanding. 
v'tzadkenu b'mishpat, and help us make the right decisions in judgment. Being a Yiddish person is amazingly uplifting. There's clarity. When the rough says something is right or wrong, you do it regardless of what. And who cares what the world, it's not a popularity contest. You're doing what's truth, truthfully right. It's such an amazing thing. We, we have to find ears in Yiddishkeit that are uplifting and amazing and connecting. We need Makarov ourselves. The best Makarov is the one that's Mikurov, that's feeling a connection to the Banshtam. Then that love will spill over and it'll affect everyone around. I know, I know many people when it comes to care, they say the rabbi has an easier time with his kids because they say, you know, that the rabbi's kids. Um, but if you're not the rabbi, what would you tell just uh, somebody that's, you know? Let me, tell you, let me tell you something funny. There was a family many years ago that was struggling tremendously with being mechanic for their children properly. You know, their kids were not so well behaved, to put it mildly. They were kids. And I, I worked with another young man. And whenever they would go to his house, his kids are malachim. There's just such tzaddikim, like we call them Yerushtar, tzadzkelech, they sit around the table like angels, they behave, they're respectful, they, they just, they're just amazing. And he said to his wife, you know, if becoming from produces children like this, we're becoming religious. So he shared with me that they became religious, obviously that wasn't the only reason, but their kids were still misbehaving and they felt like they were doing something wrong until they ate by us and they realized that you could be religious and your kids misbehave and it's fine, it's okay. Um, so Menachem, just getting back to the crux of your question, just, I just wanna make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying that if a person, that if, if a person is nervous about what they tell their children if they have non from people over, was that what the question you is? You live out of town and you're the rabbi. So the kids know we're not part of the community, we're the rabbi's kids. So obviously they're not gonna mingle or whatever, be different. But if you're talking about a regular community that has you know, different types and you're bringing into your house the ones that are not like you, it's, some people have a struggle with that. 100% and I've heard the struggle. Um, I've seen the struggle and people have talked to me about this, but I think it gets back to what we were saying before, that if we raise our children healthy, more than that, we raise our children to see the value the positive qualities of the people around us. And we raise our children to be comfortable with their own Yiddishkeit or elevated and inspired by their own Yiddishkeit, it becomes less of a problem or an issue. I mean, obviously as parents, we need to explain things to our children. We need to say, you know, this family does this or does that. That's the way that they are. But look, you know, there's so much value in what we have. You know, I'll just, I'll, I'll give an example to this. You know, many times we've had people over and they like, they notice that there's one major thing missing from our home. Like every home in the entire East Brunswick has many of these things and we have none. And that's a TV. We don't have a TV. And initially they're like, you don't have TV? I'm like, no. So what do your children do a whole day? So in jest, I, used to, I say they fight, but they play and they do all kinds. By the time they think it through, they're like, wow, that's amazing. You're raising children in 2021 who are not watching violence and promiscuity and inappropriateness and not just wasting time on the tube, that's remarkable. That's incredible. If, if the conversation comes up about TV, you could tell your child in a very healthy way at the end of the meal when the people leave that you know these people spend a lot of time looking at things they shouldn't be looking at. But Baruch Hashem, we're so lucky. We don't have those nisyanists and we're able to overcome them. It just bolsters your children and strengthens them. So if you have a healthy relationship with your children, 
a healthy relationship with the Rabbeinu Shalalem, healthy relationship with Yiddishkeit. These should not be contradictions. We have to be careful, et cetera, et cetera. The conversation at the meal maybe turns to topics we won't want to talk about. You're 100% just, and I say, we don't talk about those things at the Shabbos table. You change the conversation. Or like my wife says, start to zing at this, sing something. But all in all, if a person is functional, they're healthy, they're positive, they're upbeat, it may, it's very possible, and more than that, it could be an amazing experience for the entire family and particularly for the children. And for those that you mentioned before that many are robotic and doing things without the Gishmak and Yiddishkeit, where would you say they should start? Kirav, um, self-Kirav, where would they should? I'll tell you something fascinating. About half a year ago, I spoke somewhere. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give any details because Chaz Hashem wouldn't want anyone to identify where it was. But a particular person came over to me, a young adult, and shared with me that they grew up in a firm home and every single part of their of their of their Shmir Samitzvis, everything that they do was hollow. They felt no connection whatsoever. And they were concerned because they're about to start dating and they're gonna be dating nice from amazing people, but they're fake. They're just a shell. There's no neshama, there's no premius. What should they do? And I basically said, sure, let me solve your life's, you know, your life's issues in two seconds because I had to leave two seconds later. I wasn't sure what to tell her, but Hashem gave me a little siyat and I said to her, this is what you gotta do. You have to find the one area, I'm, I'm sure there's something in Yiddishkeit that talks to you. There has to be, it's impossible there's nothing in Yiddishkeit that talks, that doesn't talk to you. Find that area, tell me what it is. So she thinks of it and she goes, it happens to be Shabbos. I love Shabbos. I said, I love the food, I love the R&R, you know, the relaxation, I love the refresh, refreshment, I love the rejuvenation, it's like, I love Shabbos. That's where you need to start investing. Learn what the Shabbos tefillahs mean. Learn more about Shabbos, take an Asita Shalom and learn about Shabbos, you know, get a Chavrusa. The areas in life that talk to you, that's where you have to start. So if a family is, to a person, a person, individual is totally hollow, find something in your life that you could connect with. Chesed, learn to set Chabetz Chaim Sefer for Avas Chesed. Tefillah, you find, you feel connected to Rabban Shalom, learn Rav Shwab on prayer, learn something in English, listen to his shir, go to Torah anytime, there's a million shiur, plug for Torah anytime. Um, there's a million shiurim on every topic. Find something that talks to you and build on that. And every change in life is very slow and it has to be very real. I'll just share one thing and then we'll, we'll take it to the next question. I just read something amazing over Shabbos. I forgot where. A particular Balabas in Pesayik took his 13-year-old son to Rameir Stern, the Rashiva in Pesayik. In honor of his bar mitzvah, he wanted the Rashiva to give him a bracha to talk to him. So Rashiva looked at this 13-year-old boy and he said to him, let me ask you a question. What are you being mikabel? What are you accepting upon yourself in honor of your bar mitzvah? So the boy thinks for me, he goes, I'm going to accept upon myself to start making brachas with kavana. I want to start thinking and having focus and intention when I say brachas. And Rameir said, no way. So what's wrong? He goes, that's way too big of a kabbal. It's not going to last. Find something small, find something real, and do it. And when you own it, you go a little bit further. And I'll open myself up I'll say my email later. If there's a family, a person, an individual that's struggling, they just can't find meaning in Yiddishkeit, they can talk to me. I could try to maybe help them out and at least find a, a point of connection which they could work on. I would even be able to offer to be in touch with them, you know, and to see how the process goes. Because I think every Yiddish person deserves to say, to find the part of Torah that talks to them, that's meaningful to them, that they connect to the etern eternal. Everyone deserves that. Beautiful. I think it's very important uh, for Kabbalah for Rosh Hashanah. The same 100%. idea. 
They say that, that whatever you, that whatever small Kabbalah you take, you should cut it in half. Maybe even, a, maybe even you should cut it into a quarter. You know the famous Satmarav, the Satmarav says, the Pasuk says, Eretz Asher Tamid speaking about Eretz Yisrael, and it says Eretz Yisrael is a land that the eyes of Hashem are always on Eretz Yisrael. Mereshis Hashana from the beginning of the year at Achris Shana, until the end of the year. So Satmarav asked, why does it say Mereshis Hashana from the beginning of the year at Achris Shana, till the end of year? The Satmarav says, in the beginning of the year, we always say Hashana. This is going to be the year that I'm going to start davening properly. This is going to be the year I'm going to have shalom bias. This is the year that I'm going to give chesed and tzedakah and make a ve'itim It's sad by the time the year ends, it's just shana. It's a simple year like every other year. And why is that? Like what you were saying, because we 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 chew off too much. To, we you know too, we we bite off too much to chew. We need to take a real honest kabbalah that's small enough for it to be realistic, but large enough for it to impact us. Beautiful. Rabbi Landa, we have a live question. Let's go to the live question, then we have a lot more to cover. Amazing. Hi. Hi, thank you. It's a simple question. I don't know the definition of kirud. Will you help me, please, to understand that word? 100%. Thank so, you. So traditionally, when the, the world refers to kirud, it's reaching out to um, the unconnected, non-affiliated, non-religious Jewish brothers and sisters, which are 90% of the American populace, and showing them the beauty of Yiddishkeit and the gift that's really theirs, and slowly but surely being mikari of them, bringing them closer to the rabbinic loyal and helping them, you know, progress and advance in their own particular way. That's usually what kirov means. But the word kirov means just bringing closer. So every Jewish person should bring themselves closer to Hashem. And more than that, they should try to bring the people around them closer to Hashem. There's another term that people throw out there a lot, and that's the word balchuva. Right, about Shiva, somebody who, who became religious. There's a famous story that somebody uh, came before the, the, the Gera Rebbe, and the Gera Rebbe said to, said to him, where do you learn in yeshiva? He says, I learn in Ar Sameach. Ar Sameach is the yeshiva for people who didn't have a benefit of Jewish education, but are learning. He said, I learn in Ar Sameach, but I'm not a Baal Tshuva. And the Gera Rebbe looked at him and said, why aren't you a Baal Tshuva? Shouldn't we all do Tshuva? It's Rosh Hashanah, it's Em Kippur, it's Aser Sameh Tshuva. Every day, we're supposed to do Tshuva. So we're supposed to become better and improve ourselves. Here's, here's the interesting, interesting question that came in, that there are enough issues in the front community to occupy our time. What would you tell such a person? Why should I get involved in this particular mitzvah? So first of all, um, who says that you decide which mitzvahs you get involved with what? Because you feel that, you know, there's a guy in your community who has, who's involved with taking people to a particular cave of some great tzaddik in Eastern Europe. So therefore you don't have time for your brothers and sisters around you. Like a person needs to have a rav, a mayor hai rav, that helps sit them down and figure out what the priorities in their life are. But, but, but what does it mean that, you know, there's enough issues in our community? What's our community? Does it mean you're black? It means your town? It means the people that look like you? Isn't Klai Yisrael? Aren't we all one community? Like, hello, let's open ourselves up a little bit more. Let's feel the power of being part of, of Klai Yisrael. The Chassidish Rebbe's all talk about, you know, when we do a mitzvah, before we do a mitzvah, not everyone says this, but usually at Pesach people say it. Some other times we say, we say to prepare ourselves and prime ourselves. And we say something called B'Shem Kal Yisrael. I'm doing this mitzvah in the name of all Yisrael. What does it mean in the name of all Yisrael? So all the Mekabalim, the Balei Hasidus point out that there's a, a world, a reality called B'Shem Kal Yisrael, where you feel like you're part of all of Kal Yisrael. 
And the mitzvah you do then doesn't just impact you, it impacts everyone that's around you. So yeah, there's a lot of issues and problems in Klal Yisrael, but one of the issues and problems is Klal Yisrael. So there's no reason that a person shouldn't do that. But I, I, wanna, I, wa I wanna say something a little bit more practical. I think one of the reasons that people don't get involved in Kiruv or they're scared, they shy away, they're hesitant, is because it's not comfortable to be involved in something that's not like you. Well, maybe for that person, I'd like to say that when someone walks into your shul that doesn't look like you, I don't know if I should be talking about this, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Let's say there's a young man or young lady in your community that grew up in a regular home just like yours and they're struggling and they don't look like you and you stare at them and you make them feel isolated and you don't make them feel welcome. You don't make them feel part of Klal Yisrael. That's not Kirub, that's Richard. You're driving them away. I heard this directly from a kid. It's like it was 15, 16 year old kid. And he said that he grew up in a community and he struggles. And because of that, he started dressing differently and doing things a little bit differently. And he says the negativity that he feels when he walks into shul, the stares that he gets drive him away. And because of that, he stopped coming to shul. Now, probably some of it is perceived that, you perceive that Jewish people are wonderful. But one thing is clear. The people weren't being mekarev. They weren't walking over, slapping him on the back and saying, good job, how you doing? I heard you're looking for work. Maybe I could help you. Would you like to learn with me? Do you want to come over after the meal? We have some chalent. Or just say a kind, nice word to that person. So when we speak about Kirov and you're so busy in your own community, there's plenty to do in your own community. Being a mensch, being a, an open-minded person, being non-judgmental, seeing the good in other Jewish people, that's Kirov too. And I'll just say one story because I think stories drive home the message is so much stronger. There was a fellow who was very connected to Rav Aryeh Levine, the great tzaddik of Yerushalayim. And unfortunately, he drifted away from Yiddishkeit. And Rabbi Arya Levine always noticed that once he drifted away, any time that they got in close proximity, the fellow would run away. He wanted nothing to do with Rabbi Arya. He didn't want to be near him. And one time Rabbi Arya cornered him. And Rabbi Arya said to the fellow, we had such a nice relationship. I, I understand. Why are you running away from me? He says, Rabbi, I'm embarrassed that you see me every time with no yarmulke. This was a tall fellow. Rabbi Arya Levine was not such a tall fellow at this point in his life. And Rabbi Arya Levine said, come here for a second. And he looked, he says, take a look. When I look straight ahead, you know what I see? I see your heart. He was literally up to the fellow's chin. When we see another Jewish person, we don't see their clothes, clothing. We don't see the struggles. Maybe we should. We see their heart. And at the heart, all the Jewish people are, are special and hailing. So you don't want to go to Kirvat in the broader world in the 90% of Kaiso. In your own community, open yourself up. Be a mensch. Be loving. Be caring. Be not judgmental. That's amazing Kirvat. And it literally has the chance to transform another person's life totally. Reverend Landa, I feel like it's like a little bit jumping into the next question, but let's maybe emphasize on it. For all the people that live in from communities and they're sheltered in from communities, whether you're Lakewood, you live in a development like me, I want to be involved in Kiruv. Baruch Hashem, I lived my entire life in a sheltered community. I'm, I'm concerned I don't, oh, I'm sorry. I'm concerned that I don't share anything, you know, with a secular yid. They, they'll look at us like a weirdo. So like you live in your little box with your little kugel and kishka and herring and your kiddush club, whatever is your thing. But, you know, in the regular, not from world, they have their 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 way of doing things, taking a fork and a knife, using a napkin. You know, I, mean, I mean, whatever. I'm just giving examples. So you know, maybe we just can't relate. You know, I'm you know, I eat kugel with my hands. So first of all, Usher, um, one of the best ways to do kirov is to share kugel and kishka. I just want you to know, Rabbi Ziskin, Zichron Levracha, who was a wonderful makari, he was lived many years ago, but he used to say that the best way to a person's neshama is through his stomach. 
That's what he used to say. And it's such a, it's such a true point. I happen to know a particular businessman who works near Williamsburg, like in downtown Brooklyn. And he does a lot of business with guys from the South, you know, hardcore white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And he doesn't take them out to eat all the time in the fancy schmancy restaurants in New York City. He takes them to Williamsburg and he gives them chalent and kishka and kugel. And these guys, they close every single deal that way. If it was a steak, it's a steak. <laughs> this guy told me that they one time asked him, you know, they, this guy was pounding kishka and gravy. He loved it. So he says to him, how do you- Derma, it's called Derma. He, he said, how do you say that in English? So the guy said to him, it's called cholesterol. <laughs> that, that's that's what it's that's what it's called. But okay, let's 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 get to the question. You know, you have to get serious. So first of all, it's a hundred percent a misconception. You know, we don't talk about TV shows in my family at the Shabbos table, and we don't talk about politics because that's the biggest mirachik that drives the biggest wedge, and we don't talk about the hot button topics. We talk about life. We talk about one Yiddish person to another Yiddish person. I'll just give you an example how a Shabbos table in my family you know, run, runs all the years. A person comes who's never been at a Shabbos table or doesn't really know what a Shabbos table is. Okay, there's a lot of funny things that sometimes happen up to that point. But when we finally sit down, first of all, we sing Shalom Aleichem and hopefully my children sing Shalom Aleichem and that alone is a mind blower. And what family singing together, it's beautiful. And then we sing Eish Chayim, And they're like, what's Eish Chayim?" And I'm like, it's a special ode to my wife who's so amazing and brought the Shabbos together. You sing to your wife? Of course, we do it every Friday night. It's amazing. That alone, mind blown. Then tasting homemade challah is the best Jewish experience ever. Warm homemade challah with dips, by the way. Dips, dips only exist in, in the Hamisha world. You give a guy a geshmak, a spicy onion dip with a piece of fresh challah. You have so much in common with them already at that point. And listen, if you're a stickler, whatever, you have a good l'chaim, that loosens everybody up a little bit. And then you, we do parsha in my house. I say to the kids, what's this week's parsha? Oh, that's the Torah portion. And when a three-year-old kid says the story of Yaakov and Rachel and, and this, you know, it's amazing. And then we talk about our family and et cetera, et cetera. And we talk about, you know, our experiences. We have so much in common. It's amazing. You know, from the outside in, maybe it looks like we have very little in common. But two Yiddish and Hashemahs, two Jewish mishpachas that sit side by side, there's like, the topics flow and they flow. And sometimes we feel and finish our meal, who knows how late, just because things are going well and things are going great. Run your regular suda, say the stories that you share at your Shabbos table. Share the different tire, obviously explain. Don't say this. I was wondering, I heard a gvald gvart from the briskerup. That, that, don't say that part. Say, say something, say, don't say vart. You know, say, I'll just say that when I first started doing Kirim, the most, the biggest challenge that I had was to be able to get up there and speak English. Now, Baruch Hashem, I have a decent vocabulary, but my vocabulary was peppered with, 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 with sibas and simonim and gavras and chavtses and kenzines and icefears and stuff like that. It took time to like get it out. And then there was a learning process as Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave me the opportunity to speak in the firm world to relearn those, you know? So it's, Hashem gives us different stages in our ages and stages, but we have such a, so much in common and, and most importantly, and I think this is so important to understand, we, have, we share a, a Sherish neshama. We share a piece of the same neshama with every other Yiddish person in the world. There's nothing that connects us more than our neshamas. That, that's the eternal, that's Nitzchias. So right away, there's, there's a bond that we can never have with another stranger anywhere else in the world. I'll add to this that there's a concept called bageling. 
Menachem or Usher, do you guys know what bageling is? Uh, when you sleep 24 hours straight? No, that's sleeping a bagel. Close. You mentioned something that you're Jewish. Oh, very good. There's an innate need from a Jew, one Jewish person who meets a, another Jewish person that's a stranger to let him know he's Jewish. And by the way, the need to bagel is stronger if you're not a visually Jewish person. I just just land out on life, LOL. It's not, I don't know if this is proven, but I'll tell you something amazing. I went to Target like a few hours before the Seder, I think to buy new baby bottles for Pesach or something like that. And a guy comes over to me, not a visually Jewish person at all. And he says to me, eh, just a few more hours left, right? And I'm like, doesn't the store close at 8.30? <laughs> um, which is Rechot, by the way, not Kirif. And <laughs> I just couldn't control myself. So he says, I said, he says, yeah, but no, just a few hours left. I'm like, they're closing early today? He goes, come on, Rabbi. There's just a few hours left to Passover. So I said to him, what you just did is called bageling. And you're not allowed to bagel so close to Passover. But there, there's a certain innate need that Jewish people have to connect with one another. And Hashem created us this way because since we call, call, all come from the same Sherish and Hashem, the same root of soul, and Hashem just took a little piece of that and gave it to each Jewish person, innately there's a built-in connection. And it's much easier than it seems. Reverend Landa, somebody texted this question. I want to jump on it, but I want to globalize it if that's okay. Sure. I live in a very firm neighborhood. While I invite beginner Bali Tshuva to my home for Shabbos, they ask me, why don't from people say hello or good Shabbos with a smile in their neighborhood, which is much more modern? This is a common behavior. What would you answer them? Or let's let's, let's push that a little bit more. You're trying to be Makar of somebody or you're being nice to somebody. And from people are, and we all know nobody does it on purpose and everybody wants to be nice but they can come off ignoring or uncomfortable. How do you answer up to somebody else about that? So you, you've asked this at Mamish, the perfect time. I was in Barra Park this past Shabbos and I'm walking with my father-in-law and our mechutin and um, I say good Shabbos to every single person. And, and my mechutin, our mechutin, my, my father-in-law's mechutin looks at me and he says to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm saying good Shabbos to everybody. He goes, you're traumatizing this town. You don't say good Shabbos. And some, in, it's happened to me in Barbach. I walked down 16th Avenue. I say good Shabbos. And the guy looks at me and goes, I know you from somewhere. I'm like, yeah, Harsinai. You know? So I don't have a good answer to that question. The Gemara says that, right, the Gemara lists 30 something different reasons that different um, Amayraim, why did you merit longevity? And one of them says, that nobody beat me to saying hello. So I don't understand why this is part of our community. And if, if I have an, someone that's new to Yiddishkeit and is traumatized by this, I would tell them, you're right. We're not perfect. We're a work in progress like everybody else. You can start, say good Shabbos, and you see people will respond to you. And you're right. There is no good, I don't know a good answer to that. Somebody text come, come out of town. We all say good Shabbos to everyone. They're right. I'm from Cleveland originally. That's why I know how to say good Shabbos or Shabbat Shalom. We could do that too. Okay, we have so much to cover. Let's go to hyper mode now a little bit. Okay, live question, you're on. Hi, um, I was wondering if Rabbi Landa could please address the contrast between the well-known advice to encourage Bali Chuba to show honor to their parents, whereas some of the younger cure of people who work with the off-the-derech demographic assume the worst about the kids' parents. Um, that's, that's a very loaded statement. Um, I... I I have I I don't want to meet the guy who badmouths or assumes negative about anyone's parents. I think the way the Rebbeinu Shalom wired every single individual is that they need to have a good relationship with their parents, 
And that's why we're going to say, Mitzvah within, within a week, Avinu Malkeinu. We refer to the Rabbi Shalom as our father, not just as Malkeinu, as the fearf aspect, but as the loving aspect. And I, I, I don't know who does this, but if they are, they should probably find a different job. How could you badmouth or assume something negative about any Jewish person, and particularly about a family who has a struggling child? You know, how do you have a right to chas v'shalom, think anything negative? All they need is positivity and love and care. So I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. I hope that it's an isolated incident, but it's very clear that love goes much, much further than negativity. Positivity is amazing. And if you meet a young man or young lady, that's what you call, or what we call off the derech, who knows what this young person went through and who knows what their parents are going through. Show them love, show them care. I want to share an unbelievable story. It's not mamish on this topic, but I think it's such a Musar Haskell. It's such a life lesson to every single person when it comes to interacting with anyone that's struggling, but particularly this genre of Klal Yisrael. Many years ago, we went to a bungalow colony. For those of you that don't know what a bungalow colony is, you could Google it later. A bungalow, um, we went to a bungalow colony. On Shabbos, morning as we were having a little bit of a communal kiddush for those that go to bungalow county now it's all these fancy houses in those days it was shacks so you want to do everything outside it's much nicer outside than inside so you had a little communal kiddush and all of a sudden coming up this the, the path the gates to our bungalow county is about eight or ten young men and women um, not dressed you know in the standards tzniyas and, and modesty it's on shabbos i don't know i don't think the boys were wearing yarmulkes and they're like, oh, good Chavez, good Chavez. How you guys having kiddish? And it was that genre. It was those, those kids that were, you know, struggling or trying to find themselves. And we invited them and we brought stuff out from our bungalows and we gave them a beautiful Shabbos meal. They were really hungry and it was so nice. And I happened to have hit it up with one of the boys. I have no idea what happened to this boy. And in the conversation, I found out he was working. And I said to him, you look, you look a little emaciated. When was the last time you had a hot meal? So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm working really hard and I have no one to cook food for me. So I'm literally living on snacks, chips and pretzels and stuff like that. So listen to what, I share this with my wife and we eventually got in touch with this boy and listen to what my tzaddikas of a wife did. She basically offered to this boy that every single night at seven o'clock, there's going to be our porch, our door will be closed and he can go and he could pick that tin up with a hot gishmak of fresh, amazing supper take it to wherever he is, and he could eat it. And I don't know how long it lasts, I don't remember exactly, but for the foreseeable future, he agreed, and every time at seven o'clock, we would put out chicken and some side dishes and a little snacks and whatever it was, close our door, five minutes later, it was gone. The boy never thanked us, we never saw him again. But the bottom line is, real unconditional love is what everybody needs, and particularly people that are struggling and those that are challenged. So let's try to focus on and, and the Nisianus and the difficulty that everyone's going through and just show them love. That, what more can we do than that? It's the only thing we have. Okay, let's take a little twist to the left. Okay, Reverend Lando? Sure, go ahead. I realize that this question is not going to come out right, but why should any non-firm person want to give up a life of freedom and no restrictions and join a life where every single move is governed by halacha? Okay. This is a great question. It's very similar to the question that somebody asked and before. Why, why, why bring them in? Yeah, um, which is very similar to the question somebody asked before, like, you know, I don't want my children to see this because if they see this, who knows what could happen. Um, can, I, can I say a story? It's, it's probably a five or six minute story. Is that longer than the allotted amount on this? It's an, extra, it's an extra fee for you, but it's fine. Okay, fine, you can put it on the bill. 
So a bunch of you- Put food out, put food out at night, I'll come pick it up. This, this story is off the charts and you might have to hear the story because it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's remarkable. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, a bunch of years ago, I took a group of non-religious, predominantly non-religious daddies on a daddy birthright trip to Israel. There's an amazing organization called JWRP or Momentum, now it's called Momentum, which gives birthright trips to parents of children where you take a father or a mother to Eretz Yisrael for a whole week and they tour and they party, but there's so much you know, Yiddishkeit and there's so much amazing experiences that are pumped in over the weekend and really over the week and people really come back, you know, transformed as different people, upgraded, willing, willing and able to bring in more to their families. So I'm not going to talk a lot about the trip, but I'll talk about one experience. We had a, we had a, we had a concert in Asia Tyra right before Shabbos. There's a guy by the name of Yontev Glazer, by the way, interesting guy, maybe one day to get on the show. He was, on. He was on already? Okay, I'm sorry, I don't know everyone that was on. But anyways, Yontif Glazer did this amazing concert and the guys were, this was after three, four days of real bonding and it was amazing. Anyways, so what I did before, before we went down to the Kaisa for Kabbalah Shabbos, I made a huddle with my guys, you know, like one of those football huddles where everyone gets into a huddle. And I said, guys, you know, we're about to walk down to the Kotel, we're about to walk down to the Western Wall for, for, for Kabbalah Shabbat, for Shabbos davening. You know, when we used to have a temple here, we would bring sacrifices. And if you brought a sacrifice, the response from the Rebbe from the Master of the Universe was amazing. Many of the issues you had would go away, et cetera, et cetera. And so we don't have sacrifices anymore. But I'm gonna ask each and every one of you to make an amazing sacrifice. And I'm telling you, you have no idea what the results can be from this sacrifice. I'm gonna ask every one of you to consider taking your iPhone or your Droid or whatever it is out of your pocket, and I have a manila envelope right here. You're going to get it back the second Shabbos is over, right by Havdalah. I'll have it waiting for you. But maybe, just maybe, you could find it within yourself to disconnect, to reconnect for 26 hours. I said, and more than that, if you have the courage and the gumption to do it, then when you take that phone and you put it into the manila envelope, pause, pause for a moment, just pause for a second, and tell God what you, ask him what you really, really need because it's such a holy and uplifted moment. You, you have no idea what you can pile what you can to life, what you could do, what you could accomplish with that moment. And I, by the way, had a ring where I'd gotten one of the guys before I told him about it. So that'd be the first guy, the Nachshan, to put his phone into the manila envelope. And he did it. And listen, you know, who doesn't want, who wants to be the loser that doesn't want to have, you know, a direct connection to God. And everyone did and they were great. And then it came time for the, I think it was the second to last guy to put his phone in. And I noticed that he was really, really struggling. And I'm like, oh, he's addicted to his phone. Back and forth and back and forth. And finally, with tremendous inner strength and courage, he walks over to the manila envelope. He puts his iPhone inside it and he scrunches his face up. And I see he's, I don't know what he's doing there. He drops his phone in. He says, Rabbi, I'm in Shabbat Shalom. We go down, we have an amazing Shabbos. As soon as Shabbos is over, he gets his phone back. I forgot about this incident. Monday morning, we take a flight. Sunday night, we take a flight back. We arrive at Newark Airport Monday morning. We get into the limo that was taking us back to East Brunswick where we live. And this guy says, guys, uh, say a prayer for me. I have a very important business meeting this morning. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to shave and shower. And I have an important business meeting. Say a prayer for me. And we're like, of course, brother, we're going to say a prayer for you. And we, that was what I thought the end of the story. About a month later, he says, Rabbi, can you come over? I want me and my wife want to talk to you. And I said, sure. I come over and he says to me, I want to share with you something that I didn't have the courage to tell you about until today, but 
between me and my wife now, I'm happy to share it. I'm like, what? He says, while we were having the concert, I was having such an amazing time and I was, you know, my phone rings and it was my boss. And this guy works for a large corporation and he's high, high up in the corporate infrastructure. And my boss said to me that they're doing some shuffling in the company, they're doing some reorganization and he needs to see me in the office Monday morning at nine o'clock. He says in my in two or three decades of working in, in this industry. Sorry, I, I muted you. My mistake. Um, maybe I went too long. No. Basically, basically, that means that you're getting the ax. So I say to my, so I say to myself, I say to myself, um, and then he says, so he's, I say to myself, you know what? I'm going to call everyone I know in the company. I know the CEO. I know the head of HR. I know someone who's connected to my boss. And I'm going to plea. I've got a family to support. I have kids that have to go to college. I have to pay for my summer home. There's a lot of expenses I have. I can't get laid off. It's not happening to me. So I figured, listen, I'll wait till this whole Shabbat meal experience is over. I'll get on the phone. It's still workday in America. And I'm going to call everyone that I know. And hopefully Monday morning, the results will be different. And then you, Rabbi, say, could you check in your phone for the next 26 hours? What? I'm going to give my phone in? This is my livelihood. This is my parnassah. And then I said to myself, listen, you're 40 some years old. You say you believe in God. Do you really believe in God? Do you believe God could do anything back and forth and back and forth? And finally, he says, the power of good one over. And I walk over and I put, he says, I don't know if you noticed, there was a lot of intense stuff. I was telling God a lot of intense stuff. I was telling God, I'm doing this for you. You better kick back. And I did it. Monday morning, I go home and I shave and I shower. And you guys said a prayer for me. And I sit down across from my boss and he says to me, I can't explain what I'm about to tell you, but I'm being demoted and you're replacing me. And I got a promotion instead of a demotion. The fellow said to me, the fellow said to me that me and my wife, as soon as that happened, were macabre, not to go on my cell, not to go on our cell phones, at least Friday night, which is always a healthy and positive step. It means to say that they realize people who are very invested in the corporate world and very invested in their phones, addicted to their phones, they realize that not having your phone is the best thing that could happen. It's the most liberating thing. It's not, it's not the fact that you're going to feel like you're, you know, you're, you're disconnected from the world. You're going to feel connected to the Rabbi Shalom, feel connected to one another. And that's what the fellow decided to do. Just on, and I'll, I'll get to your question in a second, just on another note, tell you a beautiful approach. When a family's playing with Shabbos, maybe, yeah, maybe no. We've used this, and I've used this in other Mekarvim and other, what you do is you, you, you help them understand that they need to have a room in their house that's called the Shabbos room. In that room, you keep Shabbos. You got to go on the phone, you go out of that room. You want to watch something, you don't do it in that room. And many times it turns into one room and then into a second room, and then eventually you have a house that's Shemesh Shabbos. Getting back to what we were saying, Yiddishkeit is not shackling, and Yiddishkeit is not restricting it's the most liberating thing in the entire world. As we say, true freedom comes from a person whose life is totally involved in Torah. Why? Why is that? Because the Rabbi Shalom is the owner, is the, is the creator. He wrote the owner's manual and he wrote the best way that we could live and experience our life. When you open your glove compartment and you take out the owner's manual, it helps you have optimal performance. The manufacturer is not out to get you. The manufacturer says, don't go on that road because it's going to hurt your car. And don't use that type of oil because it's going to hurt your car. The don'ts are just there for optimal performance. When a person lives a life of tire and mitzvahs and they're connected and they're invested and it's meaningful to them, there's nothing more liberating in the world than knowing that Rabbi Shalom, I'm in your hands. 
And when something happens that's a few steps back, it's for a reason. And I'm going to figure it out. And that when I can have my phone, it's better for me. And that when I can focus on my family and shut out the world around me, it's not restricting, it's liberating. And a question like that comes from a person who just views Yiddishkeit with the restrictions, but doesn't understand the deep beauty and the uplifted Gehaibana lifestyle that Tyrant Mitzvah is supposed to give a person. So like the, we, we said previously, a person like that needs to work on Kiruk in their own Yiddishkeit, slowly, surely, but it could happen. And there's so many people who didn't have a connection to their Yiddishkeit for the first 20, 30, 40, even 50 years of their life. And they started learning and they started looking for meaning and they started finding Svarim to talk to them and people that could help them. And it transformed them and their whole families for the rest of their lives. It's not too late. And before Rosh Hashanah is mamish the time that you have to do it because you need to figure something out that you could take in front of the Rabbi Shalom that he can deposit in the bank. So do something for yourself if you're in that situation. And then Amit Hashem, It'll fi you'll find it meaningful. It'll spill over to the world around you. I think that's why it's a very uh, important topic before Rosh Hashanah. That's why we'll have you on today. The next question that we have is, I, I want to invite a non-firm co-worker family to my son Sukkot, Mitzvah Hashem, but I'm scared that his wife and daughter won't dress appropriately. Also, he, does, you know, he doesn't wear a yarmulke. How do we take in these people? How do we relate to it? So... I'm going to share the answer to the question, and then I'll share a very interesting experience, uh, you know, discussion that my, so I had with my wife, and then eventually we took it to Ramat Salman, right. So first of all, um, if you're comfortable with who you are, and you're comfortable with your way of life, there's no reason in the world that you can't tell the coworker, listen, we'd love to have you over. It's going to be amazing food. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an uplifting experience. But we just need to understand that, you know, we do live a little bit of a different lifestyle. The community has certain norms that are, may not be part of the norms. I'm going to ask you for a favor. You know, please make sure that, you're, that, that everybody in the fa family dresses appropriately. Now, they may say, what is dressing appropriately? They say, you know, maybe you could wear, you know, a nicer shirt than pants. It's holiday. It's sukkah. You know, it's not you're supposed to wear big dayantif. And your wife should wear a long skirt and a higher neckline. That's the norms of our community. And it's it, on the contrary, it's to show that it's not just about the external, it's about the internal. I'd appreciate if you could fit in with those cultures. 99.9% .9 of people, if they're coming to your home, they want you to feel comfortable and then they'll feel comfortable. It's not a hard sell at all. Sometimes you have people who are, you know, like who have these crazy shitas in life. So maybe those people are not the right people to reach out to, at least in that format. And if let's say they come with no yarmulke in my house, we have a drawer of yarmulkes or, and you offer it to them, or I've done this before in my life. I was somewhere and a fellow needed a yarmulke and I had a hat and I took off my yarmulke and I gave it to him. And now my, I had a hat, I had a hat covering and he wore my yarmulke. It was kind of cool. He was wearing a nice, you know, size six velvet yarmulke. It was a beautiful start to Yiddishkeit. But again, if you're comfortable and you're a mensch and you're, you know, and you're confident, People are very respectful. If they were Muslim, if they're at a Muslim meal, they'd have no problem. If they went to some Sikh, you know, Indian meal, they would dress to fit in. So this is Yiddish guide. It's actually your brothers and sisters. I, I have a Japanese restaurant that take off the shoes. Correct, correct. And not that I've ever been at a Japanese restaurant, but I would take my shoes off if I went to one, 100%. I might ask us to put it back on, but what I hear. So, um, you know, so it's not, it's not, I, I, don't, I don't feel that that's a major issue or a major hurdle, it's an excuse maybe. It's not so comfortable, but when you, you know, from day one in a relationship with anyone that's not like you and particularly someone that's not from, honesty is always the best approach. 
being straightforward and comfortable and, you know, and, and real with people is the way to go. That, that's what works in life. People appreciate people that are real and people that are honest. Okay, let's, let's go two more questions. One's more just a basic question. Stamazoi, you know, how did you and your family get involved in Kiev? Are you, are you a Balchuva? Where you come from? Are you from China, from Russia? And then I have one more question. And then I want to talk a little bit more about your initiative, which I think it's, I think it's a, a beautiful initiative that I want to get into that. So let's hear a little bit about you. Now that we're ending this year, let's, let's find out about you. So uh, this is one of my favorite topics myself. Um, so let, let me talk a little bit about what happened with me. So I grew up in a regular mainstream traditional from Yiddish home. My father went to yeshiva. My mother went to Beis Yaakov. It was a from Erlacha home. We didn't have a TV growing up. Okay, I followed sports because that's what healthy people did. Um, and, you know, I went to Tel Zeshiva, very insular place. And then I did a crazy thing. I went to learn in Israeli Shiva. I went to learn in Panavish. Um, and then got married, moved back to Eretz Yisrael, and I went to learn in Brisk. And one of my neighbors, where I lived in Sanhedria, came over to me one day. I mean, I was always a friendly guy, always like, you know, I loved schmoozing with everyone and talking to everyone. I just felt that was part of the human experience. But like, I was not a cure professional, and it really wasn't on my radar. And then one of my neighbors came over to me, and he was putting together something called Nerala Elef, which was an initiative to train B'nai Taira, you know, regular yeshiva guys, into becoming ambassadors um, for Klal Yisrael and going out there and teaching and inspiring and bringing people closer to the Rabbi Shalom. And initially he told me, brought me to meet the director and I wasn't really into it. And put, make a long story short, here's how it worked. They would pay you a, they would pay you a stipend per month. And at the end of two years, um, you would have to go and take on some type of job in Chutzlarts and diaspora and, um, and do Kirib and do some form of outreach that qualified for that. Now I was not planning on doing Kirib and I took the money and I opened what's called the Gemach for those people who are not familiar, a free loan society. And I lent that money out for two years and I was planning on giving it back and staying in Eretz Yisrael. But to a certain extent, maybe you could say I drank the Kool-Aid. I started doing it practically. I enjoyed it. I think I was good at it. I remember one of the first classes that I gave was at the Heritage House, which is a youth hostel in the old city. At that point, I didn't have a beard and I looked. I was very youthful looking. I, people say I still am. And I remember coming into the class of, of college students and young professionals. I'm like, I sat at the front and someone says to me, so is your dad giving this class or is it your mom? I said, no, no it's, it's, it's me. <laughs> right here, it's me. So, okay. I was accused of being youthful, but I, I really enjoyed it and I appreciated it. And I, I thought I was good at it. And I wanted to share, share where, I, where I was at. And I also want, honestly, one of the reasons I, I'll be, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. One of the reasons that I took the course was because there were definitely aspects of Yiddishkeit that I hadn't learned in Yeshiva. Basic questions in Hashkafa, a lot of the deeper things in Agada and Shama, which I was really craving to learn. And I figured that those would just bolster my Yiddishkeit. And then kind of drank the Kool-Aid and realized that I'm you know, somewhat talented at it. And then we just, we jumped in. I moved back to the United States. So I was learning in Yeshiva and BMG part-time. And then an opportunity came up for me to work in East Brunswick and then for Torah Links, which is the Yeshiva's base matters, the Yeshiva's outreach organization, the Kiev organization. At a very short period of time later, I got an offer to be a Rebbe in a modern Orthodox high school where I've been teaching, you know, in the modern Orthodox high school system for the last two decades. And Hashem has given me Siata Deshmaya and it's an amazing initiative. And Baruch Hashem, I, I feel like, like I gained so much out of it. And I, I need to add one thing and then we'll talk about the initiative. If you want to know who the greatest recipient of my Kirov in the last two decades has been, it's me. 
I'm going to be selfish and straightforward. My Yiddishkeit has become deeper. I love teaching. I love connecting. I love bringing people closer to Akadosh Baruch And I need to share a statement from the Chavis Avavis, which sounds very selfish, and maybe it is, but I think it's healthy selfish. The Chavis Avavis writes that any time that a Rebbe impacts a Talmud, I'm not quoting him verbatim, that one individual, one Yid, impacts another Jewish person and helps transform something in him, that every action that's a result of that transformation goes back to the person that taught, to the person that motivated, to the person that inspired. So I just need to share something with you. Imagine for a moment, I'm thinking about a particular young man who we met as a teenager. And today the guy is a Talmud Chacham Atzami, has a beautiful Yiddish family with many children, and he's a Marbitz Tayyar. Every bracha that every kid in his family makes, I'm not going to say I, I was the one that did it, but in Rabbi Shalom's playbook says, I have a part of it. And every time he puts on tefillin, and every time that he davens a shemineshrei, which is ten times as holy as my shemineshrei, I'm tapping into that. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. If you impact another Jewish person in any area of life, but particularly someone who didn't have the opportunity to learn about the beauty of Yiddishkeit, and you help bring them in, could you imagine the dividends that it pays in the long run? And what's great about this before Rosh Hashanah is that even if you don't actually do it, but if you accept upon yourself, you have the machshava, as the Gemara says, you have the thought that I'm going to do something to positively impact another Jewish person. In Hashem's playbook, machshava tevez kemaisa. It's as if you did the action and you come into Rosh Hashanah already starting to reap the future dividends of that. Such a powerful thing. And it's unbelievable to realize the impact of one simple Jew to another Jew. It's, it's, it's incredible. It could change worlds. Rabbi Lan, I'm going to ask you the last question that's going to catapult you into the into what, what your initiative is. You ready? Sure. The question is, I'm a wealthy guy. I own 25 nursing homes. I, I'm a master builder. I do construction. I'm busy. I'm a designer. I work 24-7. I make a lot of money. I fly private. It sounds like you're a really nice guy. I want to write you a check for $1,800. What else do you want from me? So, of course, I take $1,800 checks. Uh, you can write them out to the Rabbi Landau Slush Fund or to any beautiful Kirov organization. And $1,800 is very is a very nice uh, first donation. Yashar Kayach, I love you. You're wonderful. Come, let's let, let, let's meet, et cetera, et cetera. But I would like to ask you to do something more than just write a check and walk away. I'm part of an initiative now, which will be rolled out in the firm Jewish world, in the tri-state area, maybe not this month, but in a few months, and in other parts of the United States already now where we're trying to build an infrastructure of professional balabatim, men and women alike, who are willing and able to spend some time with secular Jewish boys and girls and young professionals, um, coaching them and mentoring them, both professionally, but like we said initially, helping them realize and understand that so much of their professional success comes from their emuna, their bitachan, their integrity, their honesty, their daily schedule, their learning, the chavrusa, their dafiyaymi, not missing a day of learning, their shalom bias, their tefillah, their relationship with their family. There's so much that a person could give just by spending small snippets of time. So basically we've created portals, which will be rolled on in a much more substantial fashion. One is J-Health, where pre-med students can meet with from men and women who are in the medical professional, maybe twice a month, not for a long period of time, maybe a half hour, 40 minutes, um, a doctor or somebody who's in the health professional, and they can be mentored by them, which is amazing, amazing value to a college student or young professional. But more importantly, 
they can help help you know the help them understand that is driven by who they are and that their identity isn't only their job that's just one facet of them it's their relationship with Hashem with others it's the proudness that they have of being a Jewish person so there's J Health there's J Biz if you run if you're that guy is successful he's a great builder he's a nursing home developer let's get a Jewish kid from Long Island who's at University of Michigan or a college like that and I will connect him you'll learn on Zoom and you'll have a chance maybe to spend Shabbos with this kid. You have no idea what could happen. And in the best case scenario, the kid decides that he's interested. He goes to yeshiva, he comes back, and he's involved in Yiddishka, he becomes a bentire. You could be that home away from home that many of Bali Tshuva don't have. You could invite them for Shabbos. You could be part of the chasana. You could invite them over once they're married. You could, I don't know, teach them the tunes for Kriya Shema Amita, Zmiris for Shabbos. There's so many things you could do. And, and what's amazing about this is because you know, there's a very limited amount of people who are cure professionals, such as myself. You could probably count them in three digits, but there's tens or hundreds of thousands of amazingly talented and successful Balabatim who've literally gone out there and been so successful in the world around them. And now it's time to show the Rabbanishalaylam that you appreciate what he gave you and you want to share the wealth, the haftas, the shemalaitecha, like we started off. You want to follow what the Chinuch says. Anyone who's interested in this initiative or wants to spearhead it, wants to be one of the nachshines that gets together a pool of 10, 15 of their friends. And by the way, we need men and we need women. We need more women actually in health. There's more Jewish girls going into the medical profession than there are guys. Maybe in J-Tech, in the computer industry, there's more guys. Everybody, we have a place that you are, a place for you, a seat at the table. They could just email me, slandau at olami, O-L-A-M-I dot org. I'll put them into the database. And Amit Hashem at the right time will reach out to them. You want to help? You can literally change the face of Klai Yisrael in the words of Rabbi Noach Weinberg. Let's waken the sleeping giant. Let's get Klai Yisrael to assume responsibility for one another. It can have such a tremendous impact on Klai Yisrael. And we need to impact Klai Yisrael. This was such a challenging year. So many problems in Klai Yisrael. Unprecedented problems. We need to do something to show the Rabbi Shalom that we got the message. And then Rabbi Shalom will say, you got the message. That's enough. So if you're one of those people, you have a, a beating Jewish heart in your chest, do it. Take, I don't know, an hour and a half. I know time is money, et cetera, et cetera. But you'll gain more, perhaps even, than the person that you're mentoring. Because there's nothing more amazing in the world than being able to share the Rabbani Shalom's Torah and Mitzvahs and that which is meaningful to you and that which is motivating to you with somebody else. You'll, 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 you'll be waiting a whole two weeks for that half hour, if it's if it works out in Mitzvah, which it will, and it'll transform them, but in Mitzvah, it could transform you equally or even more substantially. So, so jump on the bandwagon, do it. Wow, Orlando. Whoa, you blew me away tonight. What should I tell you? Thank okay, you. let's go to closing. Uh, first, I'm going to give a gracious shkoyach to Shlomo Orlando for coming on tonight to give a tremendous chizik and chazik, opening up our mind and our hearts to really, you know. Realize we're here for more than a purpose, and really we can accomplish a lot. And we have tremendous, tremendous tafkin into you know really tap into it. Somebody, somebody was texting before, you know, how come many times does the tsar we scream this and that, we scream that? Why don't we scream just let's love each other, let's be there for each other? Just a comment, just a comment. I'm not not a negative way, just you know, like you see a tsar. Why don't you say we need to be more loving? We need to, you know what I mean? So it was just an interesting thing. But um, again, thank you for coming on tonight. And again, if anybody was here the first time. Uh, every Sunday night on the Zoom ID um, at 10 o'clock, we do, we do have different abonim, different therapists, different topics we talk about. Tonight was a very powerful one. I'm sure anybody who saw this, please pass this around. And again, anybody who's in a professional business or anybody who's who's out there in the world, and I, you know, everybody wants to make that fancy this, do that, but this is something that could really 
change the, the, the face of the world. You could really change a, a, mishpach, a whole family. My wife is from Milwaukee, and there's so many families over there that many, many years ago, Rabbi Twersky, when he moved in there, he made a group of 30, 40 families. He used to go to courses and he used to give them shiurim, and they all became from. And you look today, there's literally thousands, thousands of from children because of Rabbi Michal Twersky in Milwaukee. I mean, I go there, I'm blown away. And um, it's, they have, you know, children, grandchildren. And it was just love. It was just love and teaching them. And it was, it was unbelievable. One of the stories that just it came to my mind is one of the people, they said that they, Reverend Santorski was teaching them to keep kosher. And, was, and the, you know, they were talking to the husband and the wife. So the husband told the wife, you know, I like all this kosher stuff. But when I said, it's very hard to keep a kosher kitchen. I can't do it. And the wife told the husband, I've been keeping a kosher kitchen the last six months. You just, you just didn't even know about it. And they became from. Amazing. But uh, it's an amazing thing. And uh, again, next Sunday, we're having September 5th. We're going to have Erev Rosh Hashanah Sunday night. We're going to be talking from the Rebbe from Milwaukee. We're going to be discussing what must be different this year, the night before Rosh Hashanah. Please tell everybody to come on. It's going to be a massive physic right before Rosh Hashanah. And again, anybody who just has an interest to make a massive difference, make an impact on themselves more than others, and our culture came to helping somebody else, email slandau, S-L-A-N-D-A-U at Alomi. Alomi. How do you say that? Olami. O-L-A-M-I dot org or email coachmenachem at gmail.com. We'll forward it to him. Get on his email list, and Hashem, if he has a candidate for you, whether it's in the medical field, whether it's in any field, he'll try to match you up, and it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous chizik for Israel. Again, tonight, uh, everything is recorded. It's going to be on menachemberenfeld.com tomorrow. Any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's share is share 71, and uh, if anybody wants to listen to it or any of the other past year, I'm on the phone. We have a number. It's 848-777-GROW. Special thank you to our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Anini from Chazak. A special thank you to Chayla Kauf and Shmuel from JCN for always promoting us on all the digital platforms. We're going to go to closing words from our host, Coach Menachem, followed by Rabbi Shleim Landau. Coach Menachem. Thank you very much, Rabbi Landau. After tonight's share, I, I, I understand why we were talking about this a week before Shoshanah. And it's always, you know, it's much easier to talk about other people than about ourselves, but when we talk about this topic about what other people need, slowly wakes up. You know, maybe we need a little bit of, um, uh, you know, some encouragement and Yiddishkeit, and through this initiative, it can it can help. And you should have lots of atzlach. I remember many years ago, I sat into a uh, uh, one of the classes in Eishat Torah, and I was thinking to myself, why why do they only give this to the Balshuvas? <laughs> we, we we all need these, you know, basic understanding that. We take for granted. We grew up in the FFB, so probably we know it, but it's always good to, to hear it and live it. Um, I just want to mention that um, sometimes by Kirov, uh, we have that feeling that we want to be successful. You want to start with somebody, have success, and say, you know, this is uh, my success story. I don't remember who I heard this from, but there was a, a couple that they, they were doing Kirov, and there was... They, they had a couple coming for Shabbos every day. They used to drive their car, park it a block away, and come for the meal, enjoy, and a drive away. And uh, the beginning, okay, so it's part of Kirov. They, they, they did it once and twice, a year, two years, and they were like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to I think they did it for nine years. So the truth is, don't look for the success. Just be there, be there for them. Just do... And the success is up to Hashem. It's nothing to do with us. We just have to be there. So thank you very much, Rabbi Landon, for being here tonight. And Amit Hashem, you have a lot of with the initiative. 
And, and with this, we should have physic, uh, we should be able to get closer to Hashem, and we should be able to come to Rosh Hashanah with a, a, a positive encouragement. Thank you. And I want to say one, I want to add one more thing where Coach Menachem said, I've seen this myself with somebody that many years, people have, and I, I said this to you before, many years people do the, you know, they invite people for Shabbos and they give them the love of Yontav and they show them what a Yiddish house is. It doesn't, you don't see the results sometimes right away. But many times, many, many, many years later, and, you know, obviously we'll be in a Repesach Chromebook or something like that, that he saw this and da, da, da. But at the end of the day, that, that Argosha, that feeling is there. That's why when I, I, I mean, I used to have somebody I used to do business with, and he was brought up completely not from, but that Kishkun, that Gefilte fish, that feeling was always in his heart because that's what he remembered from his grandmother. So you're inviting him, you're giving him Kishka, you're, you're connecting him to the source. We're not looking for the results. We're looking to do our part, to do our shtadlis, to show the love and the care and the connection. And that goes in today's world. There's nothing exists. The guy won't give you a dollar for credit, right? And the yid comes and gives you a free meal and gives you love and gives you caring and gives you the time of day. It's unbelievable. Rabbi Landau, please leave us with chizik before you leave. Thank you so much again for this opportunity. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was also amazing. And the Basham should give you guys just literally boundless hatzlacha. And again, thank you to Madison Title for hosting us. Great Achsanya, very comfortable room that I was in. Cool air conditioned drinks, nice chair, cool background. So thank you to everyone that was involved. You know, I, I'm not sure who it was, but there was a very, very famous comedian who was extremely expensive. I think he took $100,000 to just walk into the door and he charged by the hour. You had him, you know, perform for 45 minutes at an event. You could walk away with a quarter of a million dollar, uh, quarter of a million dollar tab. So they, they tried very hard to get him to come speak to the veterans, the wounded veterans. And he didn't want to show up. They couldn't pay him the money. And they finally negotiated with him that, you know, they'll have him come for 10 minutes. They couldn't afford more and he gave them a discount and they came up with, they met somewhere, he's going to be there for 10 minutes. Listen, they'll, they'll be the wounded veterans for 10 minutes. 10 minutes of happiness is, is nothing small. And the guy gets up there and he starts his routine and 10 minutes come and 10 minutes go and 15 minutes and 20 minutes and a half hour and 45 minutes and an hour. Like after an hour and 10 minutes of the place in stitches, he finishes off the show and he walks into the lobby, he walks into the waiting room behind the stage. So the director came over and said to him, what happened? I mean, we paid you for 10 minutes and listened to what he shared. He said, I walked in there and I cracked my first joke and the audience applauded. And I looked down in the front row were two Marines. One Marine was missing his right hand and the other Marine was missing his left hand. And they were sitting next to one another. And I cracked a great joke and the play started applauding. And all of a sudden I realized that the Marine on the right had raised his right hand and the Marine on the left had raised his hand and together they were clapping. He said, I saw that, I couldn't stop. I just wanted to see that clap over and over and over. And I used all my best materials. You guys had one of the best shows I've ever given. I couldn't stop when I saw something beautiful like that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the right hand. Some of us, many of us, the B'nai Taira, we're the right hand. But the rest of Klal Yisrael, if you want to look at it as our left hand, or maybe it's vice versa, I don't mean to highlight the right or the left. And we can't clap. We can't applaud for the Rabbanish Lalam 100% on our own. But when we sit next to somebody else, and they're our left hand, and we're the right hand, and we see the Yad Hashem, we see the hand of Hashem in this world, and we see the beauty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the beauty of Torah and Mitzvahs, and we want to applaud it, we can't do it on our own. 
we need to pick up our hand and we need to take stick out our hand to the person next to us. You know, the word Yad is 14 and the other word Yad is 14. Together, that's 28. That's Kayach. That's strength. True Kayach. We want Kayach. We only have one Yad. The other Yad comes from our, our friend, our brother, our sister, even if they're not like us. If they're not like us. The Shalom looks down from Shemayim and he says, look, I see them applauding. Like one person with one heart, I can't stop. I just want to bring them simcha. I just want to bring them joy. I just want them to be matzliach. I want them to gel and I want them to be successful. Literally, by now already, it's, it's mamish, even on the secular calendar, it's a week away from era of Rosh Hashanah. We all want the kasiva chasim mataiva. We want the Rabbi Shalom to shower us with so many things to laugh about, with so much simcha. And we need to reverse that trajectory from the previous year. There's so many things that we never want to hear about, we never want to see. And there's so many things that we're looking forward to. Let's pick up our hand and let's hold the hand of the person next to us. And together the Rebbe Shalom will give us kayak, will give us tremendous strength, will give us tremendous power. Get on, jump on the bandwagon, find someone in your own life who you can be Makara, find yourself be mekarev yourself. Maybe your right hand and your left hand are not connecting with one another. Connect to the Rabbeinu Shalom. And in the schus and the merit of great people reaching out to Klai Yisrael, like Rabbi Yisrael, like Rabbi Nachum, and every other person who stayed on this Zoom call to the bitter end, if you want to call it that, the Rabbeinu Shalom should shower each and every one of us with so many reasons to have simcha, to be able to applaud the Rabbeinu Shalom day in and day out, to upgrade our Yiddishkeit. And each and every one of us should be nichtav we should be written and sealed for an amazing, wonderful life, a life filled with the bracha of the Rabbi Shalom. Beautiful, beautiful share. We love you. Thank you. Love you too. Thank you so much, guys. Everybody, good night. We'll see you next Sunday night. Michal Tversky, Erev Rosh Hashanah. Put on your seatbelt. Get ready. See you next week. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.